All right, you can grab a seat when you're, you're, you're all shaken up this morning. Hopefully uh, you're having a great week. I, I did forget, this has been a great week uh, for a many with spring break. Hope you're having a good spring break. You've hit the rodeo, you've done some fun stuff. I actually forgot something really awesome that happened this week. My friend Casey uh, had a birthday this week, so... Happy birthday, Casey, and others, I'm sure if I missed your birthday this week, happy birthday to you. Um, this is your birthday song. It isn't very long. Um, but hopefully you've had a great week, and uh, you're ready for school to get back tomorrow, and back in the routine, and all of those, those good, good things along the way. Did you go to the rodeo this week? No? Yes? Is that like, for Houstonians, is the rodeo not cool? Like, I'm only five years in. It's... I didn't know if it was like something that only, you know, new people did. All right. Well, hopefully you've had some good time this week with family. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to get into God's Word. We're in John chapter 11. But before we do, uh, I gave up uh, cable about, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, which has introduced some new words into our family that we didn't know. Uh, My three-year-old knows the word Netflix and Roku very well now. And on those things, if you have those, you know that binge watching is kind of fun. You get into shows, you watch them. Currently, I I, I just jumped into the blacklist. Uh, I just saw that. Somebody recommended that. So now it's just like you got to watch the next one and the next one and the next one. But there's one thing I miss about having, you know, the, the regular flip cable TV, and that's that you know, there's TBS and TNT and those channels that you can just jump into movies that you know so well, like somewhere in the middle, somewhere halfway through, or maybe toward the end, and you know them so well. And I love, you probably know this about me, but I love movies. And I love those movies that you, you already know the ending. You already know what's going to happen, but you still watch them. You, you want to continue to watch them. And some movies you can just watch once, and I'm done. It was a good movie, but I don't need to see that again. But there's some movies that are just so rich and powerful. What movies are like that for you? What for you? Share with your neighbor real quick. What's those movies you can jump in and, and watch? Second survey question. Second survey question. Why are they like that? Why are they like that? Why are are there certain movies that are just so compelling that way that you can watch over and over and over and over and over again? And there's like, come up with some reasons. I've been kind of thinking about that this week. So why are these movies so compelling that you watch them over and, and probably even own them and watch them? Now today, uh, we're going to get into a story that is probably pretty familiar to a lot of us. I I bet we know the ending, but it's so compelling. It's just so, there's something so deep about this story. And it's found in John chapter 11, and it's the story of Lazarus and his sisters. There's going to be on the screen, and it's a a lengthy uh, passage, so I want you to just kind of stick with me. I want you to really visualize what's going on here in your mind. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and, 
and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Do you remember that, that scene? So the sisters, they sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, the, for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she asked, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, yet entered the village, but still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had, had, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept. The, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. For he is, and if you have the King James, it's he stinketh. By this time he stinketh. For he has been there for four days. 
Then Jesus said, Did I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here and that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off these grave clothes and let him go. I love this story. It's powerful. It's deep. When we think about movies, we think about this story, we're drawn to them because there's characters that are in the story that that we're compelled by. Characters we're compelled by. There's people in the story that that in all the other miracle stories, Jesus comes and encounters with people he doesn't know. This is the first time he's met them. It's the first encounters. But with this story, it's different. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they've had history with, with Jesus. He knows them. He is kind of like home bases in Bethany there, where he would go and stay with uh, the, the family there. I, I kind of believe that there's levels of friendships. I, I don't know uh, about you, but there are certain friends that we have. There were more friends than others, okay? And, and, and in this way, I think about it with the house. Now, you, I would invite anybody over to my house, all right? I, but, but if I invite you over to my house, there's going to be some time spent to throw the stuff into the, the closet that we have. There would be stuff, I would be washing every dish. I would be getting everything ready. I would be hiding stuff, and then I would begin to shut some doors, okay? <laughs> and we know when we go to somebody's house, when a door is shut, don't open it, okay? Because first of all, if you open that door, there might be something that falls down on, and, and on top of you, and you don't want to do that, all right? So there's doors shut, you don't open those. That's kind of a, you know, one level of friendship. Now, there's another level of friendship that you would invite someone over on the spot. You would invite them into your house, and you would, it didn't, doesn't matter how things are. You've got stuff around. You've got food even on plates and things. But you just have this, this yeah, don't judge me. Uh, I saw that look. Uh, Sometimes, yeah, I have kids that are every, have stuff everywhere and toys and things. And you just are so comfortable with people that, you know what? It's just, this is the way it is, and I'm okay with that. I don't, you know, we are at that place where we have that kind of friendship, all right? You know, I, and I think this is the kind of friendship that they have. They're, they're close. They, uh, they've been together. They've had history together. Uh, and there's this chemistry that they have as a family it, it is far different. On another note, I once had someone come and, uh, to house sit for us in, in Florida, and this guy, uh, we, we set up the... the the guest bedroom for him and, and had the nice stuff, new things on the guest bedroom bed and, and towels that were clean and gave him this, this whole place in the, the bathroom. We came back from our little mini vacation and we found out that he had like stayed in our bedroom. And uh, like I found this, the reason I knew this is because his toothbrush was in uh, my toothbrush holder. And uh, that's just kind of awkward, okay? Uh, that is a totally different level of friendship there. But the friendship that Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus had, they were, just, they were family. And you can hear that when she sends this message to Jesus. The one whom you love, the one whom you love is, is sick. He's sick. 
And so what happens in this story? First of all, there's conflict. You gotta have good conflict in a good story. And there's the obvious conflict is that Lazarus is, gonna sick, is sick, he's going to die. But there's another conflict that's happening. Why doesn't Jesus come? Why didn't he come like immediately? Now we see in the dialogue that there's this back and forth with the disciples. Just the chapter before, Jesus is in the, in the area of Jerusalem. And basically, he's telling people, he's beginning to claim that he's the son of God. And, and the, the Pharisees and the high priest there, they don't like this. And are basically accusing him of blasphemy. You, you cannot, you're not God, you're a man. And they want to stone him. But because Jesus is Jesus, the, the, the scripture basically says he, he basically got out of that situation where he's about to get stoned. And he leaves and goes to other places to minister. Well, the disciples, they know this. Like, if we go back there, we're going to get it. <laughs> we're going to die. Okay, if you go back there, Jesus, if you go back to that area where we were, that's not a good thing. So when Thomas says, all right, let's go back with him so we can die as well. I mean, you kind of feel like you're, he's kind of like rolling his eyes in the process of, let's, we might as well go with die with him. But it's kind of a gutsy thing. Because I really do believe that, that they, they think that and know that because it's true. This event, this Lazarus raising of the dead is what triggers everything for this last holy week. It's the event that once it happened, it, it, was, it sent Jesus to the cross. And, and maybe it's the, you know, some would say, well, maybe it was the, the thinking and the pondering of what was to come. And what was going to happen in just a, a week or so later that Jesus would go to the cross that would keep him back. Others say, you know what? The reason why he didn't go back to Lazarus immediately, there was this, this uh, belief then that if someone, when someone died, that their spirit actually hovered above them in the, in the tomb, hovered above them and looking for a, a, an opportunity to come back into the body. Maybe it was because they actually buried people alive sometimes back then. And so there was that thought that, okay, the spirit can jump back into the body after three days. But after that point, it, the spirit's gone. And so maybe it was the waiting of the four days. It was like, okay, this isn't some folklore. This is just to show that this is the real thing here. This is, this is the power of God that's at work here. But then there's this conflict that's happening with, with the sisters. And they say this phrase, and it's said three times, but what if only, if only Jesus, you would have been here. Lazarus wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have died. Both sisters say that word for word. And then when the, the, the Jews come up to, to mourn, this guy he obviously loved Lazarus. He's, he's healed people. Surely if he would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Have you ever said that to Jesus? If only, if only Jesus, if only and in the midst of this conflict internally that's, that's going on, I'm, Jesus, if only. I've, uh, I got this a former student that called me this, this week, and she's asking some tough questions, some big questions. She's got a major life choice coming up. She's in her, her mid-20s, and she's, she's got to make a decision about whether to move away from home, to take a potential position. And, and she's re wrestling with what, what God's will is for her life. And she called me, and she basically... She wants to know, God, what should I do? What, what does God want me to do? And I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that before. Like, God, what, what's your will? What, 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 what's your direction? What's your, where, are you, where are you doing? What are you going? What, what's happening here? And there's something about God's will that's very, it feels very mysterious. 
Because God doesn't always go in the pattern that seems to be very logical all the time, okay? He doesn't work that way all, always. And, and, and a lot of times when we, we're going to, for that, to God for that question of, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I think about that verse, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, but sometimes I want to know the plans that you have for me, God, okay? I want to know. And, you know, I, 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 as I was walking through that conversation with her and just beginning to ask questions, because I just think questions are good, and you begin to, you know, don't say you should do this or you should do that kind of thing. Begin to, to think about who God is. And, and I subscribe to the theory, you know what, a lot of times God gives us immediate stop signs. He tells us, no, do not go there. Do not do that. It's not good for you. It's not in my word. It's against my word. He's saying, stop. This is not good for you. And sometimes we bust right through those stop signs, don't we? And the consequences are hard and they're heavy. And we look back and think back, wow, I remember God was telling me no and I did it anyway. But there's sometimes I, I think, you know, and the opposite of the yes, sometimes I think God makes his will very obvious and says, this is a yes, go now, go and do this. And, and he gives us clear cut direction to maybe take a job or to move or something's going on and you just know this is God, God's directing me this way. And, and sometimes it's not very clear, is it? It's not very clear what his will is. And this is what I told her. I said, you know that God is good. Do you know that God is good? Yes, I know that God is good. Well, God is not out to get you. He is going to be with you. He is going to be with you. Now, that phrase, God is good, that's something we say, don't we? We, we say that a lot. I, I remember saying as a kid, that was the, the prayer that we had when I was growing up. It wasn't rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. It was God is great. God is good. God is good. Now, this seems like a very simple principle. God is good. I even say that now. Most of the prayers when I start off with today, just something, I just, I start that way every time. God, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. And that seems like a very simple thing, a very basic thing. But truth be told, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think that was actually the original struggle. Back to the Garden of Eden. Remember? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And what happens? The serpent comes up to Eve. And she, he begins to put these questions into her mind. Why wouldn't, why, why wouldn't God let you eat of this tree? He knows what will happen if you eat of it. And he begins to plant the seed in her, in, in her mind of he doesn't have your best in mind. He doesn't have your future in mind. He doesn't, he's not for you. He begins to basically, I know this is a, a totally loose metaphor, but he begins to paint God as this used car salesman, that he's telling you one thing, but you know what? Wink, wink, there's something that you don't know about. And you can't trust him. You can't trust him. But can I tell you today, if you're at that place let me remind you of the very simple thing that God is good. He is good. Throughout Scripture, we see this. We know this. Let me just give you a few scriptures today. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is, his love endures forever. You are, and what you do is, 
just really weak right there, okay? All right, let's, let's start over. Give thanks to the Lord for he is, his love endures forever. You are, and what you do is, teach me your decrees. The Lord is to all. He has compassion on all he has made. How abundant are the that's still very weak, but I'm going to move on. The good things, it's the time change, that I've stored up these, those who fear you, that bestow in the sight of all, all those who take refuge in you. Every and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting sands. Taste and see that the Lord is Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. His divine power has given us everything we need for a, glory, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and his goodness. For the Lord is and his love endures forever. He is faithful. His faithfulness continues through. That's not a good part. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Uh, all generations. His faithfulness continues through all generations. God is good. Now, we can profess this, but do we live it? Do we, do we trust that? And, and I believe today we need to profess, believe and profess, and also act in the confidence that God is good. Saw a very simple illustration. You maybe have seen something like it before, but this is a stool here. Obviously, it's a stool. I have actually, to my knowledge, I grabbed it out of the, a classroom. I have never uh, sat on this stool before. I believe that this stool will hold me up. Now, I don't know if it'll hold up everybody in this room, but it's going to hold me up, I, I believe. All right? Now, there's a lot of things that we believe. There's a lot of things that we believe, but do we have faith? Do we have knowledge that it will? Now, there's a lot of people that believe that flying is the safest form of transportation. Okay? But do you know people that will refuse to fly? They believe it but they don't really have firsthand knowledge or trust it, do they? Now, I can believe, there's a lot of people that believe in God, believe that he is good, believe that he has the best in mind for them. There are, there are, there are not as many that, that really have knowledge of that. And, and knowledge means that you are actually putting your belief into action. You're putting your belief into action. Now, this belief is turned into knowledge. It, it's turned into action. It's turned into, I, I, I'm building confidence in this stool. Now, there's other stools in this church that would not hold me up, but this one does. So I, I, I'm gaining this, this knowledge there. Now, in the future, if I were to come up to this stool, faith is projecting from the past that this, my knowledge from the past that this my belief that this stool will hold me up. And so now with faith, I act on, on that. And so we need to act in faith, not just believing that God is good, but, but act on that belief. Now there's another verse that has that word good in it uh, in the Bible. And it's one that you might be familiar with. It's Romans 8:28, and actually hangs on my kitchen. I love this verse. Now a, a lot of times this verse is, is used... And when I'm, I'll just go and tell you what it is. You, you probably know it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Can we have a, just an honest moment? Sometimes we don't like this verse, okay? Because it's in the most difficult moments of our lives that people sometimes 
can just kind of throw this verse out and you want to immediately just go, you don't understand what I am feeling right now. And it can kind of come off as a little hokey. That's a terrible word. But I love this verse. I love it. Because inside of this verse, just look at it. And we know that in all things, God works. God is active. He is working in things. He's doing things. He's actively involved for those who love him. He's working things out for the, the good, for the good. That doesn't mean that everything in life is good because it's not. And you've experienced that. And, and, and just because you become a Christ follower doesn't mean everything's going to become good. I mean, can we say an amen to that? We know that there are things that are out there that are horrible. Now, does he cause evil things to happen? I don't think so. But he takes some of the evil in this world. He takes some of the darkness in this world, and he can work in it for good. Now, a story that if, if you wanted to see this firsthand, Genesis 37 through 51 is a story of, of Joseph and his brothers, his brothers who sold him into slavery who basically said, I wish you were dead, but hey, let's get some money for you instead, and uh, we're going to sell you away. And all of these calamities in life, he was falsely accused, he was imprisoned. And at the end of the story, there is this total redemption moment. And, and, and the, the, the passive scripture here is, is amazing, and he basically says this, as he looks in his brother's eyes, what you intended for good, or evil, God used for good. What you intended for evil, what the world intends for evil, what the enemy out there, because we have an enemy, intends for evil for your life, God can use for good. Now, I love the word that's used here. This use for good is God imagines good from the evil. That seems so perfect for us. Reimagining life is God imagining what seems so dark and so evil and, and turning it into something amazingly good. Now, it's hard to see that sometimes in the moment, but he is good, and he wants to bring good out of tough situations in life. And there may be pain now, but, but trusting in God, good is going to come out of it. There may be tears today, but there is going to be good tomorrow. There may be sorrow at this moment, but good can come out of it. You may have a ton of questions, but good is going to come out of the questions. And I have discovered in my life, and I believe wholeheartedly that our God is good. Why? Because I know. I know that God has provided. God has saved. God has given direction. God has given grace. God has given strength. He's given us wisdom when we just had no clue what to do. I believe wholeheartedly that God is good. And in the midst of that, I think Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus. They know that God's good, but they still have some questions. They still go, you know what? I believe that you could have. But, but God, why didn't you? Why didn't you? And I think that God is a big enough God that can handle our questions. He see, we see that throughout Scripture. And I know that you have questions because I have questions too. And we can come to God in the midst of that. Psalm 77, if you're bored this morning, read that this morning, and you see exactly what that looks like. It's a, a, a guy that's going to God and saying, where are you? In the first half of the psalm. And in the second half of the psalm, he is reminded of how great God is and how good God is. 
and that God is present even when it, you don't feel it sometimes. God is there. Another reason why I think we're totally drawn to this passage, and I'm drawn, I love this scripture, I love this story, is because we see a God that weeps. That was my favorite verse growing up as a kid because it's the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. You can learn it today, children. Tell your, kid, your parents when you get home. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Two words, Jesus wept. We all learned a verse today. Jesus wept. And we, we see that, and, and it, it, I think about Advent, and that he has come into the world, that God is, is man. And in John 1, 14, he tells us this way. It's the message version of the beginning of John. The word became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. And, and this image is powerful for us. We, we, I just imagine in a moment where you, like you can feel a character. You can, you're drawn into this, this person of Jesus. I am. Now, if any Greek, now this is, that's who would be reading this passage, was reading this, was seeing this, and, and hearing this from John, the author. This doesn't make sense. Okay, for Greeks, the culture, the primary characteristic of God is one that there's this word they use, and we know it, apathy. He has a total inability to feel any kind of emotion whatsoever. Now, why, why do they think this? Because Greeks believe that if you show emotion to something or someone, like if we can feel sorrow or joy or gladness or grief, our grief, it means that someone can have an effect on us. Someone can have an effect on us. Now, if a person has power over us, well, that's not very good. Nobody should have power over God. And this must mean that God has to be incapable of having any kind of emotion. So the Greeks, they believed that an isolated, passionless, and compassionless God. And I, I kind of think that in many ways, people feel this tug that direction about who God is. Herbert Humphrey, does anybody remember Herbert Humphrey? Vice President for, this is a, you didn't know you were gonna get this history today, did you? Spring break, gotta get mind sharp, anybody? Lyndon B. Johnson, nice. He was vice president for a very short while and then he was back to being a, a senator. After that, story goes, he wanted everyone to know that he was vice president at one point though. So there you go. Remember Herbert Humphrey. But uh, there was an interview once where he was asked the question of where does compassion fit into politics? Where does compassion fit into politics? And he thought about it for a second and he grabbed a pencil, which I wish I had now. He grabbed a pencil and he said, let me just tell you this. You see this long pencil? The, uh, the wood part of this pencil represents the competition that is in politics. And you see this little bitty eraser at the end? This represents compassion. And compassion is only used if you absolutely have to use it. That's his total paraphrase of the interview, Okay. But I think, and we can just roll our eyes at politics, but I think that that thought permeates through us. There's this competition inside of us that quite honestly, like the Greeks, we want to separate ourselves from people. Because if, if, if I feel what you're feeling, then I can be vulnerable to someone else. And, and we don't want to be vulnerable. And quite honestly, we got enough problems as it is on our own, okay? I, I don't need to, to feel that. There is this book, and it's, if, if you like, like me, I, I like short books uh, because I might actually finish a short book. If it's a long one, chances are I'm going to get about 50 pages in and stop. 
Henry Nowen wrote this book a while back. It's called Compassion. And it just blew my mind when I read this in college. And he uses this word, this Greek word, and it's a funky word. Maybe that's the reason why I remember it. Splagnizami. Let's just call it zami. Splagnizami. It's a long one, too. And what this word means is it means your guts, your entrails of the body, okay? Now, we have a picture to show. We don't have a picture. Uh, but like the guts and the entrails inside of your body, okay? That's what this word means. Now, when, when and what now one says is this, is that when Jesus, it says he had compassion on people, it says that the, he had, this compassion is like he had, he had pain, physical pain in the entrails, in the splag, blah, 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 blah. He, he felt pain right there inside of his body, physical pain that it would almost produce, like, produce a groan. Now, this is not pity, okay? Pity is you see Sarah McLaughlin commercial, the, the puppies and stuff, and you're like, oh, but before you're like racing to get that remote because you're like, let me get that off the screen. I don't want to see that anymore, the songs of the puppies and, and giving money. That's, you know, you, you feel sorry for. Now, there's some situations we feel sorry for, but this is different. This is different. This is physical pain that, that, that forces you to act. And he felt this for people. And he felt this for us. And he, he, there's different places in Scripture where he saw the blind and the deaf. And, and, and he felt that compassion. He saw the crowd harassed and ejected like sheep. And he felt this pain. He noticed that there were thousands of people that were hungry and they were tired from following. So he felt this internal pain inside and he fed 5,000. There was this widow that had just lost her son. And he felt this kind of pain in his his entrails there that he was just deeply deeply moved and this is the God that we have just soak that in for a second the God that we have is the creator of everything he's humongous but he's the God that took on human flesh he is the God that weeps and cries with you with us. And the pain is, is not a fake pain. When he was on the cross, he wasn't playing like an actor, like you would see in an Easter production where there's like the, this like fake stuff going on. That was all real. He felt real pain. And he did that for us. We have a God that he's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he has experienced them firsthand. And the pain that you're going through, he is there with you. He's there with you. Because we have a good God that loves us and is present in every situation in our lives. And the last thing I want us to notice is this. There's this moment where where Martha, like she comes to to, to Jesus. And I love the faith of Martha. She says this, she says, Jesus, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But what's her next, her next words? But even now. But even now. Even now you can do something. I know that God, if you would, if you would go to the Father, even though my brother has been dead in the ground for four days, even now. It reminds me of that moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
when they're looking in a fiery furnace and they're about to go in and they say, even now, our God, even in the midst of the fire, he can rescue us. He can rescue us. But if he chooses not to, I'm not bowing down to you. Even now. What faith. And he, and he asks her, and he says to her, your brother is going to rise again. And Martha answered this, I know he's going to rise again on the resurrection of the last day. Now to get this full picture, you need to see it this way. What he's saying here is this, you know, he's going to rise. And her response is, I know he's going to rise at the end. For, for Jewish people, history is very linear. Think about that, this black line at the bottom of the screen. There is a creation in the beginning and there is an end. And the end is the last day, the resurrection, where, where the end of all, okay? Now, for, for the Jews, resurrection is such a problem because it's supposed to come at the end of the story. But what Jesus does is he comes in the middle of the story and he is resurrected in the middle of the story. And this picture of Lazarus, this this. Does it sound familiar to you? This, he's in a cave. There's a stone that's up front of it. Roll away the stone. In fact, I love what one commentator says. is like, Jesus had to get Lazarus out of the tomb so he could get in the tomb. That's what's going on here. And when she, he comes to, to Martha, and he comes back and he says, says you know, your brother's going to rise again. I know he's going to rise at the end. But Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is like one of those eye-to-eye moments. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God who has come into the world. And what he's saying to us today is that we have a God. We have a God that knows us and wants to know us. We have a God that is with us, that is with us in difficult days. We have a God that brings dead things back to life again. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead. I was dead. Our sin caused us to be dead. The choices that I made caused death in my life and destruction and evil and darkness. We were dead. But, but because of Christ's love and mercy for us, he loved us so much that he gave us life when Christ was raised from the grave. And God can take things that seem dead, hearts that seem dead, and can bring them back to life. He can bring situations that seem dark and evil, and it feels like that evil has had its day, but Christ didn't wait to the end. We can have power over sin and darkness and evil right now, and you can have it in your life today. Today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are with us, that you are a God that's for us. You're not against us. You're a God that weeps, it hurts, that feels the pain that we do. You know the struggle. 
You know the questions, and you're a God that's big enough to handle the questions. God, we thank you that we can come to you in that time, Lord. God, we thank you that you're the God that brings new life and gives us full life. Or not just for the end, not just for when we get to heaven, but can give us full life right now and can give us life out of the darkest situations of our heart. And you can change lives and you can change us. And we thank you for that opportunity today. God, we come to you, Lord, and we seek your face, Lord, in these, these things. Amen. That's my hope and prayer for you today. I hope it's well with you. I hope that you can leave this sanctuary, this holy place, having spent time with God and saying, you know what? Things are good. They're not the circumstances of life. They're tough. But God is there with me. He is there with me and he's given me a peace that's beyond understanding. Can be honest, there's people that we know that it's not well with. The best way that we can be Christ incarnate, Christ in the flesh, is not to give people pity, but to be compassionate like our Jesus was compassionate. So that means sometimes crying and hurting with people and wading into the mess of life with people and showing them that there is life and there is resurrection and there is hope. And it's not in, in a thing, but it's in a person and his name is Jesus. So let's go this week knowing that it is well and hoping for others that it would be well with them as well. Go in the peace of our Lord this morning.